Hi, everybody. Welcome. Oh, no. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our wellness webinar today. Joining me is the wonderful Pat Ziemer and Dr. Myers. Um, Pat Ziemer is the CEO and founder of MagnaWave, and Dr. Myers is our medical director. Um, Dr. Myers, where are you today? Um, I know you're traveling and working. Tell us where you are right now and um, what you're doing. I'm in Dayton, Ohio, uh, helping here in the Children's Emergency Department. So still traveling, uh, still lots of ER patients and, and people uh, needing help. So that's where I am. Yeah. So how's it been? You know, have you, has it been overwhelming? I, you know, people are hearing that it, that we're flattening the curve. And I know you've been in Florida, you've been in Ohio. So there's a little bit difference there. Um, how's it been in Dayton? Uh, you know, Ohio's a little different than Florida. They they have been in a shelter-in-place setting for a longer period of time. Uh, so we think that their curve is a smaller curve than the, the Florida curve has been. Uh, the question just is, how long is it going to last? Um, yeah. You know, I think that's the question everywhere right now is, are we mostly through this or are we still in the middle of it? Um, and because we've sheltered in place, we've flattened it. Um, you know, arguably Ohio did a very good job of, of closing things early uh, and having people separate and distance. Uh, and so they, they seem to have a smaller number of cases. Uh, so our volumes in the ER are very doable at this point in the game. Yeah. Uh, of course, we're still seeing the standard, you know, injuries. Uh, and then the, we're moving sort of out of that wintertime viral pattern, but more maybe into that springtime allergy season. So, you know, our patient volume is varying some, uh, but we are still seeing COVID cases. That's for sure. Um, okay. So, um, you know, let's talk about that. They're talking about opening back up. What, what do you think about that? And how do you feel about opening back up? If you have a question, hello, everybody, if you have a question, go ahead and type it there in the comment box. But um, I, you know, I think that's something we're all wondering how, what do we do now? Do we open up or what are your feelings on it, on the, that situation? I mean, I, I think that it's with trepidation that we're doing this. You know, there's certainly uh, a need to get the economy back and moving. Uh, if we don't keep our eye on that ball, I think we're going to get into some other issues. Uh, that's for sure as a nation. Um, the, the question is balancing that need with the continued safety of health for, for individuals. And, you know, right now there are 31 states that are looking at opening up. They're all doing it a little differently. Mm -hmm. uh, which is going to create a lot of confusion. I think, again, we, we don't have a unified voice that's telling us a single thing. We have states doing different things in counties and in cities. Uh, Florida, for example, the highest concentrated area of COVID incidents and mortality are not opening up at all. Uh, although other cities in Florida are going to do that and do that relatively aggressively. Wow. Uh, so there's, there's going to be a lot of pay attention to your local network resource to know what your rule is uh, in contrast to other places because they're going to be different across the board. Um, I think it's going to become very important that we continue, if we're going to get out and move around to social distance, be very cautious, yeah. uh, aware uh, of where you're positioned in sort of relationship to other people. Uh, and I think this is where masks are going to begin to play a much more significant role. As we're back out and around, if you are going to be in a populated area, for sure, you need a mask, period. Yeah. That are now requiring you to wear them if you're going to go into a building. Uh, and I think that's a good safety move for us because as we go back together, it's going to be hard to manage the distance. And so the yeah. mask can be effective from that perspective. So 
I do feel though, if, if you're older, if you have comorbidities, uh, you should still probably stay home as much as possible. Uh, if you are an at-risk population, then certainly protect yourself. Did you hear that, Dad? You stay home as much as possible. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, on the mask yeah. note, really quickly, we do have some Magnawave masks. I did order you some, Dr. Amanda. We're going to send it to you so you have some really cool masks. Um, Dad, do you have anything to add to that or um, anything to say about how do you feel about everything that's going on? Or do you have any questions? Well, I just think it's, you know, you can, in our neighborhood where we are, people are walking without masks. And of course, Kentucky has a directive that in uh, on the 11th, 10 days from now, we're, we're well, the directive is everyone's to wear a mask. No punishment if you're not, although the police or the security person or the store manager can come to you and say, please put a mask on, uh, that type of thing. I guess they could ask you to leave the store if you're not going to wear a mask. They could have you not go in the store if you're going to wear a mask or not going to wear a mask. But I, I think the, the easier we just adapt to that and do it, yeah. Uh, whether we agree with it or not. And, and as you know, there's a lot of people that agree with that and a lot of people that don't. But if everybody just does it, uh, you, you can't err to the wrong at that point. I don't think you can disagree with having a mask. Medically, Dr. Harris, don't you think it is, it is a precaution? It's not just protecting you. It's protecting everybody else around you if you are one of those asymptomatic people. I think that's the I think that's the key point is that you can have this virus and not look like you have the virus. And so even if you feel healthy uh, and, and you're not encountering any issues that would require you to stay at home and continue to self-isolate, uh, if, if you're shedding this virus, then you are exposing everyone else to it unknowingly. Uh, and so, yeah. again, that's where the masks come into into a critical role. Uh, it will help you if you're just in that volume of conversation, if you, you know, accidentally cough or you sneeze on some level, you know, it helps minimize the spread of that viral particle. Uh, and it also helps you not touch your nose mouth area and then touch something else that someone else may come in contact with. So multiple layers potentially of where the mask can be effective. Uh, and, and it's going to, if we're going to reopen and we're going to re, you know, gather uh, then that I think is a is a critical part in potentially helping this curve continue to be flat. Um, yeah. So I think it's a I think whether you agree with it or don't agree with it, the if we want the access uh, to sort of return to our lives where we can go to get our hair done or go out to eat or or do some of those non-essential functions in life that we all like to participate with, then that's the price that we're going to pay for. It. We're going to wear a mask. They make a lot of cool ones. You can order them online. You can get football teams, your baseball teams, your basketball teams, whatever sports you like. You can get, you know, they, they print them all. Uh, you can get them uh, in all kinds of shapes and sizes. So find one that's comfortable for you that you like to sport. Get a couple of them that you'd like to change it up a little bit with. Have fun with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Wendy Cassidy asked, Dr. Myers, I have to travel soon through several states. What precautions should I take, especially in a hotel situation? I mean, you're obviously traveling. You're in hotel precautions should she take? Um, when I travel, I am a little obsessive compulsive on some levels, so I'm pretty cautious about what I'm doing. And so uh, for me traveling, uh, I take what is a Clorox wipe, basically. Uh, I wipe down the seats that I'm sitting in, any tray tables or, you know, benches or so forth that I'm going to be in contact with. Uh, certainly as I'm in route and then I wear a mask the whole time that I'm traveling. Um, and then when I get to a hotel room, I do the same thing. I wipe everything off. I'm sure the hotels are doing a diligent job in cleaning. 
it's just for my own, I, I touch a lot of stuff. I want to be confident in what I'm, you know, exposing myself to. Uh, and, and I want to protect my family when I go home. So, you know, it's a, it's a dual purpose. It's not just about me. It, it is about other people that I come in contact with. And clearly for me, I'm seeing people on a high volume number uh, in the emergency department. So, you know, keeping myself healthy is, is, a, is a critical thing for me. So I tend to wipe my hotel room down. If I go out, I, the first thing I do when I come in is wash my hands. Uh, and then I take the clothes off that I've been wearing outside, shower and change into something uh, that has not been out of my hotel room. Uh, again, just to minimize maybe what's coming in and, and going out. So it's, it's just a little bit of vigilance um, and, and carefulness. You know, I'm, I wipe down my car keys and my steering wheel and my stick shift or whatever it is that I'm using to, to do the car door handles and et cetera. So it's, it's just kind of paying attention to those little things uh, yeah. and them down because these viruses do live four to five days on surfaces. So, you know, it's, it's just a kind of build a pattern that you can replicate is really what it is. So I have a question to that end. As we, as we talk about, uh, going back into the office scenario, potentially reopening our clinic, uh, mm -hmm. people can come in. How many times a day? I mean, I know if a client comes in, they go into a room and they're getting treated, you're going to clean that room when they leave, the doorknobs, everything in the room. Right. So well, we wipe it all down anyways, all the coils after they come in, but how often should they be doing that? Correct. Certainly after a client, but I'm talking about as far as the building is concerned, twice a day, every day, What what would you think? I mean, if you did, I would say that would potentially depend on how many people are coming in and out of your building. Um, if, if you build a practice where everyone enters the building, everyone washes their hands immediately so that whatever you have at your house or in your car or at the you know, coffee shop where you drove past to come in to go to work, if you can make sure that that, that sort of exposure is minimized. So everyone comes in and, and hand washes, you know, and then I would wipe down everything you've got with you, you know, wipe down your coffee cup, wipe down your car keys, wipe down the briefcase or the backpack or whatever it is that you're traveling back and forth with. So if you can kind of sterilize yourself as you enter the building, uh, then it's just routine cleaning in the building. Right. So the, the places that are hot spots, commonly bathrooms, doorknobs to bathrooms, the break room where people are getting their coffee or their water uh, or their lunch out of the refrigerator. So those areas need to be potentially wiped down more frequently. Uh, and, and maybe that is you get a spray bottle and the person who goes in there and, and opens the refrigerator door, then sprays the handle down and, and wipes it off as they leave. And so it just becomes a I've done what I need to do after I've touched something in, in the facility. And then, you know, from an office cleaning perspective, just that standard. You do it every day. You vacuum it off. You throw out the trash, whatever that is, you know, process. Yeah, that's that's a, that's <clears throat> I mean, I guess everybody will wear masks, too. Right, Dan? Yeah. Yes, that's a whole other industry. I mean, I can see where somebody could do that. Um, and I could see where just in our small office, if you will, with at, on a given day with 20 some folks in there, there could be someone that was walking around that office continually. Right. Uh, not only everybody taking care of their own, but someone just continually almost just rotating. Just rotating. Wiping down, spraying, you know, just, yeah. that's their job. Right. Uh, I, I see that happening. Yeah. Um, we have a question. Carly asked, with Lysol and Clorox being hard to find, would you recommend bleach cleaners or high percentage rubbing alcohol to disinfect surfaces? Now, I would, I don't, I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. So you you have to have at least a seventy percent alcohol content in whatever product that you're going to use. Uh, that's an alcohol-based entity. So isopropyl alcohol could work and do that. 
but but don't don't get crazy. This virus is literally the skin surface of this virus is a fat layer. It's a lipid layer, and it is destroyed by soap, just soap. So you don't have to find a special product. You can still most of the the stores, the grocery stores, and the WalMarts and Targets, they still have soap available everywhere. So yeah. just plain dish soap even is a very workable deal. You you wipe it down, you leave it, you know. 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then you can wipe it right off. So as we are still seeing shortages of the convenient products like these wipes or these sprays, um, but in reality, all you need is soap and water. Would, would Windex qualify as a soap product? Windex, I don't know that Windex would. I don't think it's got a high enough percentage of alcohol in it, uh, and I don't believe it's got enough grease-cutting soap component that would make that work. So I, I would have to I'd have to read their label though to know that for sure. But I don't think that's going to be one of the ones that would matter. Okay. Um, so recently we added a new product to our line. Again, if you have questions, put them over there in the comment section. We'd love to um, ask your questions, to Dr. Myers. Um, recently we started working with a new product called the LZR Ultra Bright, and I know that you said that you did looked into the red light and the white light. So what do you think about the red light and the white light, and how how do you think it works? Um, you know, how do, how do you explain it to someone in like an elevator speech of what it does? Uh, the red light wavelength is a very therapeutic wavelength. And we've known that for a very long time um, in medicine. And it, at a core, what it is doing is it's spinning electrons. So it's literally assisting your cell structure, your mitochondria to increase its ATP production, which is the gas for your cell to be able to work. So we're finding that cells can work more efficiently uh, when they're in energy stimulated, right? And yeah. then the other thing that it can do is it helps stimulate collagen fibroblast growth. And so you're looking at, at skin in and of itself, the structure of the skin being healed uh, and then strengthened uh, across the board. So, and then the third kind of major thing it can do is it will, it will change nitric oxide levels. And so you're getting some vasodilation. So your blood vessels all become larger, uh, which increases your flow or improves your flow. So if I can, you know, look at, you know, increasing my energy level, helping my flow, uh, and then maintenancing myself uh, in, in their structure in and of itself, then I will effectively work better as a structure. So there's a lot of studies about red light, uh, the, the ultra red lights, uh, the depth of its penetration uh, and, and how it is actually effective therapeutically. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a great product uh, across the board. So it, it doesn't create heat. The UV ray system is a little different. Uh, that creates a lot of proton movement and heat movement, which can have some cell damage, which is why everyone's careful about, you know, using sunscreen and, and, and sort of minimizing some of the direct sun exposure that we can have. So this is a wavelength of light that behaves like sunlight, but without the heat and the damage, you know, sort of component to it. So we've been using it with the with the Magnuway machine, and we've been seeing really great results. You can use yeah. them at the exact same time, so it's been wonderful. Um, some people are using it for weight loss, which is interesting. Um, I think it's if you want to learn more about the LZR, uh, you can check it out on our website. The script, the um, link was there. Again, it's called the LZR Ultrabright. Thank you for giving us that explanation, Dr. Myers. We do have another question. Um, so this is about food and COVID. What, are you, what is your feeling about takeout food and how to disinfect the package in the containers? 
I mean, you know, most of the, the restaurants have put into place a very specific non-contact food, you know, sort of structure, but and most of them are wearing gloves. So if they're picking up the box of the container of food that you have, and then they're placing it in a bag, they're using a glove. So you're, you're sort of depending on their protocols and practices in order to keep you safe. Um, if you are a lower risk individual, that's probably great. Uh, if you're a higher risk individual, then I would say, you know, you can A, wear a pair of gloves, take those things out of those packages, wipe them off or put them on your plate and then dispose of those items, take your gloves off and throw them away or soap and water. Again, works very efficiently. So if you take out the package, uh, put it in your plate, try not to touch, you know, your actual already have that set up before you touch that product, you know, and then immediately throw it away and wash your hands. So it's, it's, again, it's just determining how you can replicate a cycle that will continue to keep you safe that we don't forget, right? So don't pick up the package and then wipe your nose. That's not going to be good for you. You know, so try to be sort of real methodical about the way that you're managing it, right? So get your plateware out, you know, then handle the, the to-go container, then put it into your own at home, uh, whatever that is, utensil bowl, et cetera, that you have out there and then dispose of it and then hand wash immediately. That's great advice. Um, one person asked, Dawn asked, what about leaving windows or doors open or being outside? Does the sun kill the virus? And I know that that's been a really hot topic of debate. It is a hot topic of debate. And that, I mean, we know that UV light exposure will do that. Uh, a lot of hospitals have put into place UV boxes uh, or UV lights that you can place things in or under in order to help minimize viral load. So we know that the sun, which is a UV light, uh, effectively will potentially do that. We just don't know how much sun, how long you have to be there. You know, if, if I have a cloud in the sky, does that matter? If I'm in the Southern yeah. Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere, like where am I in the distance from the sun? Is it morning, is it evening? Like there's a lot of variability from that perspective from an outdoor uncontrolled space, right? Whereas. Yeah. In contrast, the UV box, you can you have a certain amount of intensity, it's a certain distance, it's a certain size, you can control the time of the exposure, et cetera. So, you know, is it is it effective? Probably. How effective? We don't know. Um, you know, we are not seeing big evidence of this virus just floating in the air. So if you want to leave your door open uh, with your screen, you know, or your windows open with your screens on or so forth, then that may be a very good thing to do in, in, the, in the spring. So again, still getting into our life and life pattern is valuable and important. Uh, outside activities are always healthy for you from that perspective. Um, but social distancing is going to be a must. You know, there's I think a lot of parks are going to reopen. Uh, they're now, you know, having allowed timeframes in, in cities for people to get outside and do their jog or their walk or, or whatever their calisthenic is for the day. Um, so, uh, you know, outdoor exposure, I think is, is a good thing. I think if you're going to be outside, you should be in your mask. Yeah. Uh, we've had some, some folks on CastBox uh, come in. Um, let's see if they'll come back and request. We'll bring them into the conversation, see what question they may have. Um, did, uh, Dr. Myers, did you see the uh, article that Chris Cuomo's, I think that's what his wife put out, where she actually rented a PMF device? I mean, used it when she had COVID-19, had excellent results. But in that um, in that article, she also mentioned bathing with a cup of bleach in her bathtub water, which was very controversial. Um, I think the PMF works. And, I, you know, obviously we all believe that it's something that's, you know, immunity helps your immune system. Mm -hmm. But what do you think about that 
cup of bleach in the bathwater. Just wanted to know because a lot of people are talking about that on social media. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And we've, we've employed that uh, technique in medicine in the past with bacterial infections uh, and not found it to be very effective. Um, you know, that when we first began encountering the, the MRSA uh, bacteria that causes skin abscesses and lesions, uh, you know, it, we, it was thought that we were colonized or that bacteria actually was living either in our home or on our skin or somewhere in our nasal cavity or et cetera, that, you know, we were reinfecting ourselves by re-exposing ourselves. And so part of the strategy was to try to minimize that bacteria in your home. So bleaching surfaces and then on your body surfaces. And so putting bleach in the bathwater. Um, we did not find that to be super effective. Uh, some people still will, if you've got a high incidence of that bacterial and high incidences of abscesses, you know, they'll say, try it and see if it will help mitigate things. So the, the jury's a little bit out on the research from that perspective. So but it's not completely crazy. I mean, some people are acting like it's just, she's no, nuts. No, it's not completely crazy. And, and it is something that we've looked at. So, uh, and used as a strategy in medicine. So, but it's, it's, it maybe has plus minus effectiveness. So if that's something that you feel like keeps you maybe healthy and mentally that makes you feel better about the process of, of exposure and what's going on with COVID-19, then by all means do that. Because the way that our mind thinks, if we feel like we're healthy uh, and we feel like we're going to be good because of that, then we will be. So that's part of the, the, the deal. So, you know, if you don't, if you feel like that's off the wall and nuts, then, you know, then find a different strategy to stay healthy with. Yeah. I mean, uh, she talks a lot about how she rented a PMF device and she treated herself and her 14 year old. Mm -hmm. um, he was in a, a tremendous amount of pain. He kept talking about how much pain he was in. And mm -hmm. then the, the device um, helped him through that period. Um, just to everybody out there watching, if you are looking, if you would like to rent one of our machines, you could go to the map on magnawaypmf.com and get matched to your local practitioner who, um, has rental machines available to, you know, with a no contact drop off. So everybody in the United States has that option of getting that machine to them from someone local without having it shipped all over the country. So um, if you're looking at trying PMF uh, to mitigate any type of symptoms or help with your immunity, immune system, that option is there. Now, uh, Dad, yeah. is someone on CastBox? There is. Uh, uh, Raina is with us. Raina, did you have a question? Yes, yes, please tell me how many people there. Like I heard too many voices from, <laughs> from your side. Like maybe three people there. No, there's four of us here. Three of us here. Four people. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So uh, I'm sure My name is Shreed. And uh, sorry to say, I mean, I, I don't know what's your topic. So if you share with me your topic, so then I have lots of questions. Our topic is the COVID-19 and our therapy equipment. Dad, he doesn't. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Rana. We'll be back with you. <laughs> um, Tracy Walker Bush asked that she read that stem cell therapy is being investigated for COVID-19 treatment. Is this true? And another way MagnaWave can be promoted because, you know, there was, we talked about it last year at MagnaCon, um, mm -hmm. And they talked about it. other doctors have talked about using it to using the machine PMF and stem cell therapy uh, to help with the absorption and the and the stem cell. So, what do you think is that happening um, currently? Um, I mean, we are we are looking at multiple ways to try to combat this virus. They so we know what the virus 
DNA, RNA sort of, it's, a, it's an RNA structure, but it's like our DNA. So we've looked at the similarities between the protein in the virus and our protein and ways to target that. And we've actually got, I don't know, 70-ish medicines that will target 60 or 70 of the proteins out of like the 330 that we have that are similar. So we're looking at literally 70 different meds to try to figure out which ones can be effective for us. Um, we are looking at trying to figure out whether convalescent plasma will help us. So once you've already been sick with this virus, can we extract your immune system out of you and help other people? Uh, we're looking at there's a hundred-ish immunization uh, development strategies that are ongoing right now. I mean, we're we're trying to capture every modality that we can to try to eliminate part of the infectious risk, to mitigate how sick people can get from this, and then how can we prevent people from getting sick with this? So I, I think that all of these strategies are actively being investigated. It's just it's we've had this thing around for six months, you know, so yeah, and only in the United States for the last two, two and a half months. So lots of learning to do, uh, lots of strategies to try to employ, uh, certainly lots of modalities that are being investigated. Uh, to that end, uh, Dr. Myers and Elaine, uh, I've reached out to some FDA uh, representatives, if you will. There is a fast track in the FDA to where they'll let you bring something in and use it. And so I kind of pursued that to see, okay, what, what would we need to do to get, you know, okay to do some of that? And no matter how you do it, it still comes down to, well, you got to put it through the FDA and it could take you, got to write for a grant. And I've reached out to some uh, doctors that are retired from U of L who have written grants uh, in the in the health area, uh, in the in the rehabilitation area there, and asked them to maybe participate with us to write a grant. But no matter what we do, it's a year before right. before they would say, "Okay, let's try this. Let's give you 15 cases or 20 cases, and let's see what this does." We do know that it helps inflammation uh, in the lungs or wherever to to help clear things out. But I, I was kind of thinking we could reach out to them and someone would say, "Hey, let's give that a shot." And but that's that's not what I'm hearing thus far. I think there's so much red tape. But yeah, that's it. I mean, even the fast track, fast track, long track. <laughs> take a year or six months right. with red tape. That's correct. Right. And and that's where we are with the with immunizations. I mean, everyone is saying, you know, nine months-ish, maybe by next January, but that that that's a epic proportion fast track. I mean, that is certainly bending or manipulating some of the normal protocols in order to get that vaccine and get it maybe done faster. And, and anytime we do that, um, the risk is how many people get hurt by the vaccine itself. And that's part of why we've been a little bit on the brakes with things like the hydroxychloroquine um, in combination or not in combination with Zithromax with uh, a lot of the remdesivir uh, studies. I mean, it's we have to know that the product won't hurt you. Uh, and so we've got to have a, a really controlled process in order to understand, do you have a side effect from the medicine or is your side effect because you have the illness itself? So you have to tease these things out and it just takes time. There's no other way to, to, to move faster. I mean, we are moving as fast as I think anyone could expect with us having the short experience that we do with this virus. Uh, we've got great information that's rolling out, you know, right now in the next three to four weeks, I think we're going to see more information coming out uh, that we can make some decisions about where to push and, and which 
it, which items from that point forward to really focus on and, and potentially fast track into main, mainstream therapies. Um, but we're still a year out, realistically, right. from a lot of this happening, period. So um, Dawn, Dawn asks, um, is, she has heard that it is that smokers do not get COVID as bad as other people. Um, have, is that true? I've not seen any research data about that. No. I don't know why that would be true because yeah, that doesn't seem like that in their lungs to begin with. Right. I mean, I you know again, this virus tends to choose to be in our nasal tract down into the lung tissue. Um, the lungs have been the reason that people are being hospitalized and commonly are dying. Uh, and I you know any damage or injury to the lung that's pre-existing is going to potentially create a bigger problem for that individual if they become infected and if they become overwhelmed with this virus. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can certainly do some research and, and maybe get back to you guys on smoking and, and the connection, but I've not seen any information that would may allow me to make a comment one way or the other about it. Um, uh, Wendy also asked, when will I know when it's safe to visit my father with cancer? Mm. Even someday with more testing, what is the best case scenario? I mean, the the real question is going to be when we get antibody testing so what i what our push has been in the very front end of this is get a test that will accurately tell us whether you're sick right now uh, and the next push i think is realistically getting a test that tells me whether you've been exposed and have some sort of an immune response reaction to the virus and is that test accurate so if we can know whether you've been exposed or not, then I think that gives us better information about how we can either A, be out in public or B, visit people that are uh, at health risk sort of settings. So if I have not ever been sick with it and I'm not currently feeling like I'm sick, uh, then I think it would be reasonable, you know, wearing a mask and social distancing to spend some time with people that you love. Um, yeah. if, you've, if you have the antibodies present and you're not feeling sick, then the real question is, are you shedding the virus or not? And so that becomes testing multiple days in a row, uh, keeping symptom free, and then making a decision to go visit people. So kind of a combination of things have to fall into place. We don't really have great antibody testing yet. That's certainly in development and probably will be, you know, out in the next couple of weeks. But then the question is how public available is it going to be? We're going to be in the same situation that we are with the PCR testing right now. Can everybody walk up and get a test? No. Uh, where are we testing in high population areas where we have high density illness uh, issues? So we're, we're still not globally uh, having access to the testing. Uh, and yeah. and the, the antibody testing is going to look very similar to that, I think. Yeah. Dad, do you have any questions? Well, no, I was just going to say that, you know, that is very interesting. And, and of course, you answered it. Get tested, see if you have the antibodies, wear masks uh, and do the whole nine yards. And I mean, use your MagnaWave at home. There you go. In terms of seeing somebody, you're going to have that situation no matter what's going on. Mm -hmm. Of course, if her father's more vulnerable, obviously he is with, with cancer. But gee, I mean, I would think if she'd social distanced, uh, went outside, if he can go outside, uh, you know, if he's in a position to be able to step outside and so and be, you know, several feet apart, and everybody's wearing masks and she's been tested, and he's tested and doesn't have it. I, I don't know if they can test, if they'll test somebody or if he, he's even able to be tested. Yeah. Yeah. That's difficult. I don't know. Do people, if they, if they've been social distancing and they're sick with cancer, their immune system is down. Do they get, if they, even if they don't have symptoms, can they get tested or do they have to have some type of symptom? 
Um, I mean, commonly they, they're going to say with a symptom, if you start to get sick, that's when they would start the testing. Um, I don't know that they would empirically test you. You know, if, if you're receiving treatments, though, if you're going to a facility where you're having your um, chemotherapy or radiation, then you might be more likely to be tested. Um, but if you're in uh, a, a steady state or a remission phase, then they, they may not aggressively test on any level. Uh, but that would certainly be a conversation to have with your local either health department or, or physician uh, to say, look, you know, it's important and valuable to have this contact and, and knowing uh, what those answers are right now is something that a lot of a lot of times would be a reasonable conversation to have. So, yeah, I agree. If you have a question, anything at all that you would like to ask Dr. Myers or Pat Zimmer or myself, please put it um, in the, the chat or comment there. Um, also, I do have a question. I have someone that would like us to call them. Okay. So she has a question unrelated to COVID, but she has a question. Hello. Yes, ma'am. Yes, hi. My name is Pauline Gardner. How are you today? We're good, Pauline. Good. Thank you so much for taking my question. Um, my daughter is nine years old and was diagnosed with a generalized convulsive epilepsy in May of last year. Um, now we've moved on to the diagnosis of intractable epilepsy, and we are in the process of switching her medication over from Depakote to Lamictal. Her epileptologist has told us that we should expect increased seizure activity during this transition, um, and we've already experienced increased activity. I'm just wondering if there's a recommended protocol to use with my soul machine during the transition period to kind of make it a little bit easier on her. Currently, we are using the mat combined with a small coil. She lies on the mat and puts the small coil on her head, and we perform one session five times weekly. One session per day? Yes, five how, days per week. How, for how long? Um, just the 10-minute cycle. And are you seeing a change? Um, well, we started this protocol in July of last year, I believe, mm -hmm. and um, noticed an immediate change in her epilepsy. I mean, I'm 100% convinced that this is making a bigger difference than any of her medications. She was not breathing through her seizures until we started with PEMF, and now she can actually function through them. Um, so I know it's helping, but we haven't changed the protocol since July. Dr. Amanda, do you have a comment? I do have a comment about her protocol. Go ahead, if you have something, doctor. Um, I mean, I think the switching meds is always a challenge because you are dropping a level of one, trying to increase the level of the other. Uh, and so you get a little bit of a gap in the coverage uh, as you're not therapeutic on either of the products. At, at, at so it becomes pretty valuable uh, at that point to potentially engage any other. I'm not sure how it disconnected us. I'm so sorry. That's okay. We're back. Go ahead. Go ahead, Doc. So, I mean, you could certainly increase the numbers of treatments that you're doing. You could do them twice a day at the 10 minute intervals. That would be fine. Um, you know, you might find that that would help during that washout pattern where one medicine is dropping down to a non therapeutic level and the other medicine has not leveled up yet to be covering her. Um, you know, diet control can often change uh, seizure activities. I don't know if you guys have tried any type of a ketogenic process. You could certainly uh, look into that. That's a kind of an easier thing to do now uh, than it has been in the past. Uh, there's a lot of gluten-free components that can change seizure activity as well. 
Uh, and then, you know, trying to get good rest and, and good hydration, just sort of fortifying the body from that perspective can all aid in that time frame where you're moving off of one medicine and onto another. Right. Perfect. The other thing that I would certainly recommend is you want to make sure that you're changing the intensity of your machine. Okay. At the various times that you treat, don't always leave the machine on the same setting. So if you're treating twice a day, maybe run it a little higher in the morning and lower in the afternoon. Uh, okay. Just because you don't want change to the body, correct and change the attachments, uh, change that up because you don't. It, the strange thing is, is that we have cellular memory, and if you put it on the same attachment and the same intensity every time after a period of time, the body sleps it off because I don't know, you know, I'm used to this now. So if we change it up, then then we can continue to receive the uh, the benefit. Yeah, I would use the large loop too. Um, if you're, if you, you not just use the mat, you can use the large loop in place of that mat sometimes, um, you know, kind of rotate that through. Um, it, Cause that could go on the back or wherever you're placing the mat, you can use the large loop almost the exact same way. Okay, we only have the small coil, but sometimes we do split it up and do one session on the head and one session on the chest. That's okay, good. That's great. More frequently. Sure, that's perfect. And also changing the intensity. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Absolutely. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Um, Tracy, we got another question about COVID-19. Tracy Walker-Bush asks, when we start seeing clients again, other than using mask, gloves, and sterilization, should we take clients' temperature and ours before sessions? Any other suggestions? You know, I've seen that with delivery drivers. They actually, when they delivered pizza the other day, they had the driver's temperature on the box. They had the manager's temperature on the box. Like, the, everybody's temperature in the whole place that came in contact with it, like the temperature, like with the smiley face. I, and I've never seen anything like that before. So is that something that, that the manual practitioners should think about doing? I mean, I, I, you know, again, it's all about client reassurance and, and your own protocols. And, you know, one of the things that we do find with COVID-19 is you do run fever. Uh, so that's, which is common with all viral infections and many of our bacterial infections as well. So knowing your core temperature and what is normal for you uh, would be maybe reassuring for you and your client. Um, it would be very reasonable to do that. The other thing that we've we've noted that we've added symptoms into the list just recently. So it used to just be, you know, do you have fever? Do you have cough? Um, are you short of breath or in your breathing pattern? Are you struggling on any level? And now we've we've added in other components to the the cluster that we're watching. So you know, do you have chills? Uh, do you have a sore throat? Are you muscle achy? You know, these are common viral syndrome components. Um, and so kind of noting all of that about yourself when you get up in your day, how do you feel? Uh, what is your temperature? You know, are, are you feeling normal or, or not normal from that perspective? So keeping a little diary or logbook would be a very reasonable deal. Um, the, the one thing that we have found which is really unique to COVID-19 is taste and smell. Uh, out of the numbers of people who have all of those other symptoms, you know, cough, fever, achiness, chills, sore throats, those are very common nondescript components of most viral illnesses uh, and very indistinguishable across the board. But losing taste and smell is very specific to COVID. So if you find that that is changing for you, uh, then I would be very closely paying attention to the rest of these symptoms because out of the people who do get COVID, like 60% of them have found some component of smell or taste loss. So if you wanna get real specific, that's what you look for. Uh, but knowing your general health and, and knowing your temperature, your core temperature, very reasonable, very reassuring. Uh, and it kind of maybe just something you can add into the I'm healthy, you're healthy conversation with your clients. 
Yeah, I think that core temperature is important because people run at different temperatures. Like I, I have one daughter who is like always 97. And then I have another one who's always 99. Like it is never a low grade fever. She's always been 99.5. It That's every single time we've ever been to the doctor, that's her temperature. So do you see that a lot where some, where there's people who are just a little bit different where a 99.5, my other daughter would be, would be almost, you know, astounding to me for her to, that would be, she would be very sick. And mm -hmm. with the other one, she's been like that since she was born. So is that normal or what, what would you say? Cause if you don't know, how would you be aware if somebody was ill or not? Right. And I, you know, we, we use averages a lot in medicine. So means and medians, we're looking at statistics and bell curves and those types of things to kind of get information. And so, you know, 98.6 is the average normal temperature. Uh, but if you're a degree below it or a degree above that, consistently speaking, then that is just your body thermostat placement. Uh, and so kind of knowing that is, is useful. We look at fever in the adult population is 101 or higher. So, you know, we're looking at enough of an elevation, even, even if you're running 99, 99.5, et cetera, on your, on your average day, if you crank up a degree and a half, uh, you're, you're actually at that point febrile. So knowing where you sit normally is very helpful, uh, but knowing that then your mark of temperature coming out of normal ranges into what we would call fever ranges is 101 and greater. Is that low grade, 101? Would that be considered what they say, low grade fever? I mean, they, we, we throw low grade around a lot just because we're, you still have a normal temperature. It may just be higher than your normal right now. Uh, okay. I go outside and work in the yard. My, I could run a low grade fever, you know, realistically speaking, because my body temperature will be higher. So part of it is your environment. You know, what are you, what are you exposing yourself to? Uh, how hydrated are you? So a lot of variability in, in, in swing in our, in our temperatures in and of themselves. Um, and in, in medicine, low grade or not, we don't care. We want you to have fever or no fever. Uh, so, you know, again, knowing your core and where you normally balance is important and valuable. So if you have a lower temperature on an average day, if you're 97.6 or 8 or whatever, uh, and you raise up to, you know, degrees, then then that would maybe be, be careful because you may end up in a febrile situation. Um, so, you know, hard to maybe define the, what is low grade versus normal. Yeah. We all swing quite a bit. What we do know, 101 and higher, definitely fever. Yeah. So you would just want to make sure Tracy, that you talk, have that conversation with anyone that you were, you know, when you do start working, um, so that you're not, you know, if they are 99.5 or something like that, that you need to know what their normal is before you take, you know, you right. run their temperature. I would think that would be beneficial. But you know, it is a great idea from the practitioner standpoint. Sure. Yeah. to have, have a gun or something and, and not a gun, but not a gun. No thermometer, a thermometer, an electronic digital thermometer nice. that uh, yeah. they can take their temperature and show it and then take the temperature of the client for their own safety. Yeah. I, I think that just shows that we're trying to be uh, um, serious about this and, and, and follow through. One of the things uh, when we were in Florida uh, a few months ago and all this was starting up, what we started doing in our, on our uh, uh, the MagnaWave Express in the MagnaWave Express, but with the group that we were with, there were about a hundred people in this particular area that we, where we were, and uh, and we kind of started. We would take a very deep breath and hold it for twenty to thirty seconds 
Number one, if we could hold it for 20 to 30 seconds, we didn't have, we felt that we didn't have a lot of congestion, but then if we could release without coughing, but if you started, you know, if you held it for 10 seconds or 15 seconds and all of a sudden you're coughing, that'd be a reason for someone to think, am I congested? Am I, is something else going on? So what do you think about something like that, uh, Dr. Myers, just from a personal standpoint that someone could do very easily at home? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, one of the things that, that uh, if you do get sick, if you do have fever, congestion, you know, achiness, sore throat, or so forth, the, the, the real question I think for everyone, you know, on your mind would be, when do I go get help? If, like, when do I go see a doctor? When do I go find uh, an answer? And and I think the breathing capacity is definitely, you know, the, the, the trigger point. So being able to hold a deep breath, you know, exhale without a cough, if you can do that, you know, some people said, hold it 10 seconds. If you can do that 10 times in a row, you know, if you stress the lung uh, on a little bit of a level, you know, does it still function for you normally? Uh, that That's, you know, a really good self-test to know, am I still okay or should I go get some help someplace? Because one of the things that we do find is that in this viral process, you do become a little short of your air. That it feels a little different when it's moving in and out of you. Uh, it maybe feels a little harder to move it in and out of you. So. But the question is, can you still do that or not? Uh, and, and that really is the tripping point of when do I stay home versus when do I go get help uh, from, yeah. from the medical community? You know, when I had the flu, I was talking about last time on our wellness, I got the one one year I got the flu of A and the flu B or whatever the letters were in the same uh, the same time, same winter. And um, what I realized is I was using the MagnaWave whenever I had, because I, I was coughing, I was congested. So what I would do is I would lay in my bed and I would put lay on the large loop or I'd put it my arm through. Um, mm -hmm. And it would, it, I really did feel that I could take deeper breaths. It helped, cal it made me feel calmer and it helped with my ability to breathe, honestly, at that time, because I was worried that I was going to get pneumonia. I was worried it was going to go because my immune system was low. I was just had another child. It was, you know, a stressful time. And I had let myself kind of, um, you know, my immune system degrade. And when I started using the, the PMF, it really changed the way um, I was able. And it, I felt like I got better sooner. Like I, I felt like it sped up, like instead of going through, um, the, uh, you know, two weeks, they said it could be the first time. And, you know, I felt like it, you know, I got it going and then it was able, I was able to function better and, you know, get better sooner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, again, anytime we can strengthen our own cell structures where, where they are getting better blood flow, which means we're getting better oxygenation, which then means they're also removing debris you know, and, and minimizing some of the inflammatory processes that can happen when we are exposed to these illnesses, you know, you're going to get a, a better situational component of wherever the body part is that you're treating. Um, and specifically in the lung, we get a lot of oxygen. We have a lot of blood flow. Uh, we need the, the, the sort of cell structure to be nice and thin so that that oxygen can move into the bloodstream uh, and so that our carbon dioxide can move out of the bloodstream as we exhale. So keeping that balance is, is key and critical. And if we have any one part of the lung that becomes overly inflamed, uh, has more of an, an, a swelling component because of that infection and inflammation, then that's where the likely pneumonias will develop. So if you can keep moving things through more easily, it's not that you won't ever cough or that you may not get sicker, but you're going to mitigate, I think, the the length of the illness that you're having as well as how sick do you get? So that's sort of the height of the illness that's there. 
Yeah, that's right. That's what the P so the PMF, what it does is and with the Magnawave machine, you can pull out some of that inflammation. You can essentially, you know, and what it, I felt like it did is it instead of getting worse, I, at that time, I felt like if I didn't have it, I would have gotten much worse because I was it was too late. For, I wasn't you know, I didn't have I, I was just starting the vitamin C and I was already very sick. So like for me, it felt like, OK, if I without this, I don't I would have been I would have been much worse in my coughing i could feel you know it also helped with the sore throat i had a sore throat and i was you know I, i'd lay on the large loop and i felt like okay my sore throat is less and that's probably the inflammation as well mm -hmm. likely yeah. Um, yeah i mean it's it's just the the reaction of the body to these infections uh predominantly is you get a little bit of edema you get an inflammatory reaction to that uh, and depending on where that is located, your symptoms occur, right? So you yeah. either feel achy because it's in your joints and your muscles, or you're going to feel sore throat because it's all in that sort of nose and mouth area. You know, if it gets into the lung area at all, then the, the amount of cough that you have, the amount of chest expansion work with that cough will lead to soreness in and of itself. Uh, and if you can't really clean and clear it, then you end up with some component of a pneumonia pattern. So yeah. if you can change your using, you know, the, a pulse electromagnetic field where the body can help maintain its normal function or is facilitated at a baseline in its normal function, then you can change the whole course of the illness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we're, we have just a few. Oh, go ahead, Dad. I was just going to say, and we've known for years and, and, you know, people would say, they would always ask the question, uh, well, can I, I've got the flu. Can I use the MagnaWave? And my answer has always been, Sure, it's going to push you through the flu faster, mm -hmm. and, and you know now, but you're still going to have the flu, yeah, and, right. or, or whatever it is. But it can push it through. I'm not sure, it, but it's 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 exactly. definitely helping. So to use it as preventative to keep your blood flow and to keep your lungs active and all that kind of stuff is good. That's what I do. I sleep on it every night. But at the same time, to, to think that it's going to stop it is probably not the case. But right. it can help you move through it smoother perhaps right yeah right. And, and you know we prevention is always a challenge i mean that that's all of the things that we're doing right you're hand washing you're social distancing you're wearing your masks those are the things that can help prevent this uh maybe from getting you uh ill but once you're ill you know it, it really is how fast can you move through it how sick do you get uh how how well can you feel even though you have the illness and this is just one of those modalities that again if you can fortify your body, either with good nutrition, good rest, nice sleep, uh, your vitamin supplements, you know, using your magnetic field in order to help your body sustain itself better, then the likelihood of you getting a bad illness, a very severe illness, is minimized. Yeah. It's not that doing all the right things won't keep you from potentially being exposed and becoming sick by this virus. That's just the way that this works. But the healthier you are, you know, the, the stronger your system at a core is, then the lighter this is going, you know, as an experience to be from, from the illness progression, uh, length of time that you keep it, uh, and then how you recover from it. You know, and again, 80 to 85% of the people that get this virus are having, you know, kind of flu-like illness symptoms. You get fever, cough, congestion, you don't feel good, you ache, you know, you, you've got sore throat, all of that happens. Uh, but it's a it's a fairly fast transition in and out of it. And you don't have commonly in the average population these bad respiratory outcomes where you, you need to be in the hospital, where you need uh, oxygen level support uh, on some delivery component. Uh, we're seeing, you know, small numbers of that, you know, being needed, although when they are needed, they tend to be devastating. So it's yeah. a 
it's a big deal to require them. So. Question, Dr. Myers, uh, and something that some of us have done for years, but the ozone generators that we have in our homes quite often mm -hmm. uh, to help purify the air and clean the air, do you see a value there uh, as far as our in our home environment or our office environment? I mean, I, I feel like those are a lot like the, the UV light machines. You know, any, any way when you have multiple people coming into a space, um, your, your just exposure levels are exponential. So when you go home and you see the five people that live in your home uh, and, and then you, you do something at church and you see 100 people or at a restaurant, you see 50 people or at a, a sporting event for your kid and you see you know 200 people or whatever, your one level of exposure contact that you then bring back to your office is huge or back to your home is huge. So anything that you can do to help clean that environment, uh, just from an air purification perspective or a, a UV lighting perspective, can can certainly help minimize. You know, when I come back home, what does it do for me and my family, and then where do I go next with it? So just eliminating part of that, what, what we're talking about now, tracing component, right? We want to target, trace, and treat. That's what we're trying to do uh, across the public health forum. We need to know where you've been, who you've been around. You know, were they sick? Were you sick? So where, where are your contacts and exposures going to be? And anytime you can minimize bringing something back to your home and being sick, it's going to be helpful. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so I'm going to switch gears because we're almost out of time here. Um, so if you have a last minute question, put it in there. We'll try to fit it in. But Dr. Myers, you have a Maya machine um, that, that you use at home. And today we have, I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to show you guys because this is switching gears, but I want to show everybody. Um, we have the Maya Duo, which is two Maya machines. The Maya retails for $20,950. This is the Maya Duo. It comes in the traveler case. We now have it in an all-terrain case. So if you don't know what that is, it would be, it looks like this, but it's two actual uh, machines, uh, two Mayas in one case. So you actually get two Maya machines in, I don't know if I said that enough, in one case, the price is $24,950. So that's only 4000 about $5,000 more. So um, that is now available again in the um, all-terrain case. Um, and it's also available here in the Traveler case, and we have those now. So if you're interested in getting a Maya Duo or getting a machine uh, with us, if you mention this webinar today, um, then you will be able to get a um, special, uh, we're going to give you a third attachment at no cost. So go ahead, and if you want to check it out, it's on our website. It's under our products. You can also check out the LZR Ultrabrite, which we talked about today. And we got new attachment covers. If you're worried about... Um, you know, if you want to keep things, um, these are antibacterial covers that go over your attachments. They can be removed from whenever you treat a dog or um, a horse or something along those lines. You can get those attachment covers online. They're pretty cool. Um, just a great way to keep your attachments clean. Um, and, you know, they would go really great with your new Maya Duo. So just putting that out there. Those are available now. So the attachment covers are on our website. The LZR Ultrabrite is on our website. And um, so is the new Maya Duo. We were very excited today when it came in and on the wheels because you like your Maya, correct, Dr. Myers? I know that, that you guys use a lot. Yes, we use it all the time. I love it. 
Yeah, it's a sol solid state machine. So if you're unfamiliar with that, that means it's actually a computer inside uh, that is creating that pulse electromagnetic field. Um, I actually have the Maya Duo behind me here. That's what I use and I treat both of my kids at the same time and it's cut my treatment times in half where I'd have to treat one of them for 20 minutes and then another, I'm doing both of them at the same time. So 20 minutes and everybody's done, which has been wonderful for us. Dr. Myers, let's see, do we have any other questions? Looks quiet. Um, Okay, Dr. Myers, thank you so much for joining us. And we're gonna to try to do these about every two two weeks or so if, if you're available. I know that you're working very hard. So um, again, if you know, whenever you're available, we'd love to have you and take care of yourself. And thank you so much, Dad, um, for everything. Okay. Great. All right. on to Dad, thanks for watching. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.